Hello everyone, this is Mirko Guerrini and I welcome you to the Jazz Transcription Clinic, a monthly interviews podcast where we talk with accomplished jazz doctors about their lives, career and their personal secrets on the art of transcribing. If you want to improve at jazz, stay tuned and follow the Jazz Transcription Clinic on the socials for more content. I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is being recorded. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be here today. Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Jazz Transcription Clinic podcast. Uh, today's guest doctor is one of the most acclaimed guitar player in Melbourne. He's a senior lecturer at Victoria University and he's a practicing musician that uh, is really sought after uh, by many bands and many vocalists. He will talk with us about uh, how to play your instrument, in this case is guitar, and make it sound as a band. Uh, and use transcribing strategies to uh, implement this skill. So uh, without any further ado, I will introduce you to our guest doctor for today in the clinic is Mr. Steve Rando. Welcome. Thank you, Mirka. That's a, a very, very generous introduction. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I really mean it. I have uh, had the the privilege to play with you on many occasions now and I always enjoyed your um, I would say your clean ideas especially in comping I always feel that you you dug really deep into the art of comping uh, either you know vocalists or soloists and that that's a big skill you know, to have, and you, you make a lot of people happy when they play, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> What's well, an area of transcription, I mean, we're going to be discussing transcribing, yeah. that we don't always look at transcribing accompaniment. We usually always look at transcribing the solo area. So it's, it's an interesting area. Yeah. It is, it is indeed. And uh, so... I, I know that when we started discussing the opportunity of uh, participating in, in this podcast, you were a little bit worried because you said, oh, but uh, you probably need uh, a more jazz musician, even though, you know, categorize musicians is really hard in these days, isn't it? Uh, but I thought that you were a great addition to this podcast because uh, transcribing is not an exclusive um, thing that only jazz players do. You know, uh, I know, for example, some classical colleagues that are transcribing some versions, you know, they, they maybe they don't rewrite down, right? They don't write down... Uh, what Glenn Gould did on uh, on the art of the fugue, on that specific recording, but maybe you know they are listening hundred times to a specific passage and then try to reproduce uh, that specific sound that they hear, and that's that's the same thing. Yeah, you know, that's transcription as well. So thanks again for participating. And if you are happy, I can shoot you the first question sure which is why do you transcribe yeah it's a, a big question i um if i digress and i think of when i first started i wasn't really even sure why you would transcribe um i know my teachers would encourage me and say you should transcribe and at that was a period where you listened to your teachers and you trusted them and you did what you what they said. You just didn't even question them. You thought, okay, there must be something in this. I grew up also purchasing a lot of guitar magazines that had transcriptions in them. So I was very interested in how they did that. 
And I knew that when I read those transcriptions and tried playing them, I could play the material, but I never retained it. I was never inside the material. Um, and then I was reading more about players like, um, you know, Steve Vai had transcribed a lot of Frank Zappa and things like that. And, you know, he's, he used to say I'd spent um, two or th maybe two to six hours on, you know, five, one minute of music or 30 seconds of music, you know, and um, I got really interested in, 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 in the, that process. But for me too, it was probably, it was a way of integrating my, um, improving my ear. Cause I think I, I would, I learned music. I could read music quite well. I was taught and how to read music. My ear was a little bit behind. So it was a way for me to develop my ear and listening skills and probably integrate the listening performance and theory. Because as I started to transcribe, I started to analyze music and it was a way of building a vocabulary. It really was that. So I guess a lot of the things that I would have started um, transcribing were probably more kind of blues solos and because I was into blues guitar. And it was a it was a really interesting process because the you know the style was the same it was over the same 12 bar blues tune so you, you, you were given you were, it was a good thing because you knew what the progression was going to be you didn't have to work that out um but and the players would use the same scale it would be five pentatonic notes so it was kind of easy to work those notes out but it was about the nuance of the player um so i started realizing about their rhythmic placement that made them different and trying to learn where they were placing notes that I wasn't and their touch and nuance and getting into that, into their sound. And I guess trying to understand why they played something and what kind of story they were trying to play. And those things sort of revealed themselves more and more as you transcribed, uh, where you could see the overall picture of the solo, how it would start slowly or the register in a lower register build up to a climax and um, hopefully you would see that overall picture and um, it would take it from there. But then I got into the way that I tried to learn jazz because that was very new to me when I started college um, was to listen to jazz musicians and try to work it out, which was very difficult. Um, I found it I found it very challenging to transcribe and to notate what I was hearing and probably the, a lot of the first transcriptions are full of lots of errors um, but these days it's a, probably a necessity for me to transcribe and notate because as a teacher um, I need to notate material for students to play um, if I'm doing learning repertoire which I need to do a lot of if I'm playing in a project, I will need to learn that repertoire and notate it. I find the way that I personally ret retain repertoire is I need to write it out. I need to visually write it out. Another thing I do a lot is probably a lot of people may not have spoken about this is I, is I transcribe chord progressions all the time. So it's a consistent thing for me to notate chord progressions to popular songs or material. And by just doing that process, writing it down, I retain it just for somehow it stays in. Same thing when I notate, when I, I can play along with things and remember things, but if I write them down, I retain them a lot better. So, yep. um, yeah. I, <clears throat> I'm with you 100%. And I remember that the whole transcribing process is also uh, a very long uh, but profitable path towards your uh, good relative pitch. You know, many times I've been asked, do you have perfect pitch? Because to transcribe, you know, lots of solos. And I, I, I don't. I don't have perfect pitch. Um, but through the years, I think I was able to develop uh, a good enough relative pitch to the point that, for example, if I transcribe a saxophone, now I don't need the instrument anymore. 
And that because I, I know so well the sound produced by a saxophone that it's like if I'm, I can visualize all the notes, I know exactly what the notes are. Uh, with other instruments, it's a bit more difficult because I don't play those instruments. So, for example, if I try to transcribe uh, one of your solos, maybe I need to check a couple of times to check the references. So a couple of times I need to check with the piano or the saxophone whether I'm on the right note. But once I have a good reference, then it's a matter of intervals and... So the point is that even for chord progression, I was terrible at it. I couldn't even transcribe a, a simple Beatles song. You know, yeah. like a Yellow Submarine was obscure. <laughs> if you ask me, oh, what's the chord progression 20 years ago? But then doing more and more and uh, same, same as with you, I, I started playing uh, jazz, uh, but I also joined some rock bands, some experimental bands, pop bands. So I was in the need of transcribing a lot of bass lines and chord progression. I was playing a bit of keyboards. And you know that, especially in young rock bands, usually charts are something that never existed. <laughs> so you need exactly. to produce your own chart and, and write out uh, the chords. Uh, to the point that I remember years after, like 10 years after started transcribing, I could hear, I could recognize chord progressions by ear. Like you, you play a track from the middle of a trumpet solo and I could tell you if I knew of course the song but I could tell you what song was that by the sound of the chord progression and that's not you know an amazing skill that I only have I just developed it I I got it like for free well not for free <laughs> for like 10,000 hours of work yeah. but I got it, and every, I think that's something that everyone can have it uh, from that work. It's interesting you talk about um, being able to hear on your instrument. I think that's the case for me. Like you know, I, there's a chord that's played on the guitar. I can tell exactly what that chord is and how it's fingered. On the piano, not so much. You know, I'd have to work it out, but. Um, and also by doing that as well, you know, when I first started, the guitar is a really complicated instrument. I think Mick Goodrick has got some formula that every note repeats like 3.2 or 3.6 ways. So that's why guitarists are terrible sight readers. So, you know, you, there might be an A and you'd be like, well, is that the A on the fifth fret on the first string? Is it on the tenth fret? Is it the second string? Is it on the fourteenth fret of the third string? Like, I couldn't tell that. You know what I mean? Like... But then your ears can tell, I, I, can, I can hear where that is because it, it sounds different where it's played on the fretboard and stuff like Absolutely. that. So your ears get, you, yeah, you pick up those things. And also I think that idea of um, listening to, I find it really interesting because I've had to transcribe a lot of bass lines because when I do sort of like a, I guess a one man show thing where I have to accompany singers and I've got to play the bass line, the chords, sometimes the melody as well. So I'll have solo arrangements that I have to really listen and tune into the bass lines and get my ears hearing that frequency. While, you know, I notice when, you know, singers just hear melodies, they don't hear bass lines and vice versa, you know, stu students that play bass parts don't necessarily hear the higher parts. So I think it's, it's really important to kind of um, be able to hear everything, you know, and yeah. isolate parts as well. And yeah. then you, you will become Sting, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, he always said that he was the leader of the band because he sang the melody and he played the bass line and the other guys just had to fill in the middle, the colours in the middle. I always know? thought yeah. he's unbelievable. <laughs> I always had such yeah. an admiration for him because I, I saw him live uh that tour i can't remember what album they were uh, presenting but there was vinicola Utah on drums yep and and it was unbelievable was the ten summoner's tail, ten uh, summoner's pro tail probably probably yeah. but yeah 
Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, it's that album with lots of odd meters in it, like seven four yeah. five four. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, David Sanchez on keyboards. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful album. And I thought it was incredible because always uh, playing with Vinicola Yuta is already difficult if you are just a bass player, <laughs> right? But you yeah. are the bass player and the singer. And he was doing an amazing job, so relaxed, so settled, you know, with everything and able to control uh, the, the rhythm on two different mm. levels, you know, being perfectly linked to the drums, but the voice is still free to float above. It reminds me of the Brazilian, like, guitar and singers, like uh, João Gilberto. Yeah. You know, there, yeah. are, there is that version of uh, Desafinado sung by, by João Gilberto, and he is just guitar and voice. And it's like he sang uh, after he played the guitar, but he's doing it in real time. And the voice is so out, you know, <laughs> from, from so disconnected from the guitar. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I, I think that... I, I love that stuff. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like it, it's like it just floats across the rhythm, you know. And what's fascinating about that stuff is, like you spoke about the, that sting of, I remember that you, when you actually, you know, go to learn those songs or analyze those songs you realize like you said they're in on times and but they don't feel like they're in on times no. they just feel very natural yeah. yeah yeah exactly uh so i guess you have kind of uh, replied to the second question which is what do you expect to bring home with transcriptions and you said you're looking into rhythmic placement the touch of the player the nuances do you want to add something else yeah um definitely the the rhythmic thing is was very important for me especially in, in just learning subdivisions i think the way that i learned subdivisions and now can hear subdivisions or sing subdivisions was you know transcribing a lot of funk music which had a 16th note type of thing or blues that had a triplet bass thing and then understanding how those kind of seeing knowing what those patterns sounded like um yeah i guess the i'm always trying to capture the way somebody is playing something the way they they go about playing it it's never about the notes um it's about their their touch especially their articulation um i think i'm attracted to players that have a very vocal quality and play with a very kind of legato kind of sound um especially for me guitar the guitar players i like are very influenced by horn players and that's you know that's why i love the sound of saxophone and trumpet and things as well where it's not everything is just picked you know there is sort of like slurring and stuff like that so yeah. i'm always trying to pick hear those things and trying to understand how can I articulate those things so they sound more lyrical which is what that's probably what attracts me to why I transcribe certain players as well or why I avoid not transcribing certain players so um yeah just dynamics feel placement um some of those things are just really difficult to talk about or teach i think you know when you're talking about you're teaching a student you know things like tone time touch they only come from listening and and they involve what i call purposive purposeful listening you have to you have to be really aware i think that's one great thing that comes out of transcribing is you heighten your awareness you know and every time you listen to something you hear something different mm. that's great and I think you just gave me the title of your episode, which is It's Never About the Notes. It could be actually the subtitle of the podcast in general, because that's a constant, a constant theme that came out with all the guests. You know, it's never about the notes. And again, it's another difficult step to make the student understand, you know, you your work starts when you just got the notes. It's not finished there. It's actually, that's the starting point. When you get the notes, that's the preparation 
of your work. And then you start working on, oh, how he, in, in my case, for example, how did the player tongue that note? You know, was, uh, how can I make that sound? I remember that uh, when I was young, so we are talking about 350 years ago, uh, a, a close friend of mine gave me a vinyl of a Charles Lloyd uh, album. So Charles Lloyd wasn't a big name for a long time. You know, he was recording for ECM with, uh, but he played with a young kid, Jared. So he had his own path. And I discovered this player, which I loved because he has a very, very nice and uh, fluty sound on, on tenor. So I started getting obsessed. How can I get that sound? That was my quest at the time. And I figured out that Ooh. by simply moving my upper teeth forward on the mouthpiece, I could get closer to what I was hearing. So that journey of experimenting and searching towards a sound, I think is one of the main essence of the, the transcription while you do yeah. it. You know, it, it's not to get that D. And anyone is able to play a D, but am I able to play that D? You know, yeah, and, 100%. And, yeah. And sometimes it's difficult with students. The students say, oh, I got the notes. Now uh, give me another solo. No, 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 wait, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, you are playing the notes, but you are quite far, you know, from playing what you hear. So we need to work on that. Some, sometimes a really good supporting thing, it's probably going to be different from saxophone, but also being able to see the player play it, because especially on the guitar, because there is no, there's kind of like, there's no real, it, it, it lends itself to so many different ways you can play the instrument. So if you actually see also somebody play it, you go, oh, that's how they get that sound, right? So, okay, so, you know, John Schofield, when he's doing that kind of funky thing, he's really picking back on the bridge. That's why he's getting that brittle sound or, you know, somebody Jim like Jim Hall, it's very left hand and, you know, the where his pick is closer to the to the to the front humbucker pickup or whatever. And that's a warmer tone. So that I think those things can really help you um, also seeing them um, can help reinforce that too. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And how do you choose the tracks that uh, you are going to transcribe? Do you have like a strategy or this might be the next gig? Yeah, a lot of that's dependent. So there's a few things there. If it's, if it's for me, um, it's probably something that I'm really curious about and it needs to touch me. So I hear something and I'm really curious about it or it really touches me and I go, wow, I need to know, understand that. I need to know more about that or I want to get better at that. So one of the great things about your podcast is that I reached out to you straight away and said, thank you so much for this podcast. I'm, you've inspired me to get back into transcribing and that's probably transcribing for me. Um, so I've started transcribing a lot of Kenny Burrell and Wes Montgomery, which has mm -hmm. been something I've wanted to get more into and, and look at that language and those players. I think if I'm going to play on a tune, uh, maybe it might be a standard, it makes sense for me to transcribe somebody else's approach instead of starting from nowhere, that I look at how somebody's approached it that will inform my approach. And maybe I might transcribe two or three people. The old things you are, I might look at someone like Bill Fazell, Jim Hall, John Schofield, and look, is there a common approach? What can I take out of it? What what sort of lends itself to me that I understand that I can put into my own playing? Um, but then there's also that there's a fair bit of transcribing that I need to do just to be a working musician. So it might be a show and I need to transcribe all the guitar parts to be able to play that show to retain it. Um, teaching, I, I guess the way I approach teaching as well as imparting what I think students may want to look at and need to look at, 
they might ask me, I'd really like to learn this song. You know, I'd like to learn, you know, I'm really into John Mayer and I'd like to learn one of John Mayer's solos. So I'll, for me, I will transcribe that so that I can teach them where it's coming from. And then I can, by doing that as well, I can introduce them to other music that shows them, well, you know, this is coming from Albert King or this is coming from Freddie King or this is coming from Eric Clapton, you know, and they can then see those kind of connections. So, um, and then, I, you know, if I, I guess, I'm just thinking yesterday, you know, I was, had an ensemble group and the students are playing, they're doing a Motown tune, they're playing like My Girl, the violin player couldn't pick it up the the string solo so i had to actually like a lot of classical musicians they they're good at reading but they're not great at hearing so i just transcribed the solo right there in the lesson and then gave it to him and he could play it you know what i mean so it just comes to a bit of a i guess you just um you it's a resource you need it to be able to do what you need to do yeah absolutely yeah. and so to to dive a little bit more into uh, the factual thing, so how you do it, what methodology you apply when you transcribe, and uh, have you started using any software in recent years? Yeah, I I use the same software. I think both Julian and Remy and your other podcasts have talked about a, um, a software called Transcribe. Yeah, which I use. I think it's by Rising Software. It's not very expensive either. I think it's only about, well, I think it's $50 US or something. So yeah. whatever that, what's that, $3,000 Australian, depending on what our dollar's doing <laughs> at the moment. So yeah, um, and you've got it for life, which is great. It's not yeah. like a yearly subscription yeah. either. Um, I really like that. I use that all the time. I must say all the time if I'm transcribing it, even when I'm teaching and also as a practice tool. Um, what I really like about it is it's very easy just to import uh, MP4s into it. Um, you're able to label sections, which makes it very easy to look at sections. This is very important for me if I'm transcribing solo guitar arrangements as well, where I need to know where I am in the song, uh, you know, and look at specific sections. Um, you obviously can slow down, um, which I don't tend to slow down too much, but I do slow down a little bit at times just to hear certain things. Yep. Um, and it also has a, you can change the pitch and that is very useful uh, for me too, because a lot of times singers will say, here's, here's 15 songs, Steve, I need you to, you know, learn these 15 songs and, and then there's no rehearsal, but they're in different keys. So I, instead of learning the songs in the original keys, I can actually learn them in the transcribed keys. Um, yeah. The voices can sound a bit chipmunky, but at least I'm playing along with the feel of the tunes yeah. while I'm learning them. Yeah. yeah. So that's a really useful function. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you notice, but when I do... Uh, my live version of the podcast where I transcribe solo, I recently started using this platform called SoundSlice. And it, it's quite similar to transcribe because you can, actually you can create the bars. And I don't know if you watched any of the episodes no, of the live transcription. Uh, I have transcribed uh, a Charlie Hayden solo, a Michael Brecker solo, oh, right. Chet Baker solo, and it's you can actually write the music inside the web platform. So you import, oh, wow. you can import a track or a video from YouTube, and and you have actually control. You can create the bars and you can write the music uh, and see the the bar line you know the music going together with the with the music you can slow it down you can loop sections and i started using it also for teaching is it's, it's great yeah you can loop yeah. you know two bars and put it to 60 percent and still hear the inflections and and the nuances of it but yeah there are many 
many softwares that can help us. I was looking the other day into a software that Remy Bolduc suggested, and I think it's very interesting. It's called Anthem Score. Yeah, I heard him talk about that. That sounds really interesting, actually. And I you had can, a look. Yeah, there is yeah, a like yeah. 30 days trial. I, I'm going to try it and maybe yeah. also do a podcast episode uh, on it. But actually, it goes by frequencies. So you can analyze the frequencies mm. and it can isolate some frequencies. So like... Sometimes is is great, you know, if you want to get, especially like a piano thing, and you need to understand the left hand is good if you can isolate that procedure, uh, that that range of frequencies, and and apparently it tries also to give you the notes uh, on the spot, but uh, we don't know. <laughs> I don't know yet how accurate. <laughs> It can be so. I'll be happy to try it. Uh, but yeah, there are many, many uh, softwares you, there. Yeah. Do you write things out on paper, or do you write things on something like Sibelius or Finale? That was my next question. But oh, <laughs> I'm, <okay>. happy. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to 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 move on. Um, I usually, if I have time. So if I don't have to do a transcription for work or maybe I, I rush to do a podcast episode, if I have time, I first memorize it, the yeah. whole thing. And then writing is just a matter of archive and possibly analyze if I think yeah. it's worth to analyze Uh but if I don't have the time or if I have to do it for someone else, uh, I write it on on paper first. And then I put on Sibelius. I found out that it's much, much faster that way. Because writing on paper, uh, I'm still much faster than, than on Sibelius. Especially yeah. jazz yeah. solos where the rhythm sometimes requires a bit of reasoning you yeah. know you have to understand oh he plays like nine notes in a bit and a half so how i'm going to uh, write but when i write i just put the nine notes and then i can figure out later you know and yeah it's a bit faster but with this platform that i mentioned with sound slice uh i found it very very quick to write it down uh couple of weeks ago I did a transcription of Chet Baker uh, on um, but not for me and it took me probably 30 minutes to transcribe yeah. the whole track so intro yeah. introduction the vocal the trumpet solo and I wrote it down immediately on the platform so that's very quick because you can loop one bar and then you stop and then you write using your computer keyboard. Yeah. So you write the notes and the rhythm and you, you move to the next bar. That I found is really powerful. And my it, my process is my process is probably similar to yours. Um I and I've heard you actually talk about this in other interviews that I like to listen to the music a lot. So I'll before I transcribe something, I'll listen to it over and over. You know, even in the car, um, not intensely in the car, because if I do listen intensely, I'll probably stack the car. <laughs> but, you know, I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be listening it over and over. And I'm a big believer if you can sing it, you can play it. So yep. I have to get to the point where I'm able to sing it. Um, yep. And then normally when I go to transcribe, um, sometimes, well, what, what I used to, I'd still do it on paper because I'm faster. And I've got a rubber because it's easier to sort of, you know, if I'm to a second, sometimes you, you think maybe not, you know, I think when I first started to transcribe, it was really overcomplicated because a lot of the transcriptions, if you ever see blues transcriptions, like people in guitar magazines, like a 12 bar blues transcription, it looks like something like Bach could, wouldn't have even been able to play. It's just, they're kind of, they're 12, eight things and the, 
subdivisions all over the place. And then when you hear it, you go, oh, that's just that. You know, that's really simple. So I try to keep them very simple and just write things like maybe pushed or rushed or a little bit behind the beat and things like that. Um, And sometimes I just actually notate the rhythm on, uh, on the paper and look at where the placements are. And if I've heard it enough, I can sort of fill in the notes later. But I have started... Got a lot quicker at using Sibelius, so I've now started uh, putting them into Sibelius, which is kind of a, you know they they just a look a, a lot better. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, when yeah. you don't want to analyze them. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing the same. I mean, I, I'm writing on paper, and then I give a a better look, like a publishing look, <laughs> with with <laughs> Sibelius, and and then I, I can share it. Yes, absolutely, and. Uh, how long does it take normally to transcribe let let's say a jazz solo but if you want to talk about i don't know a pop song is is of course fine but i'm very interested in understanding and make clear that this is a slow game (laughs) it's not something that you you can rush into it um, look, the first couple of things I ever transcribed took forever. I just didn't think I'd be able to do this. It was just like, but I was persistent, you know, and everybody that I read about or spoke to me about it, you know, the teachers, they said, it's going to take a long time, the first one, but it's going to get easier and quicker the more you do it. And um, after usually yeah. the first 20 years are the worst, right? <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, Look, pop songs are really quick. Like I, I, I know that I know that you know. I think it becomes down to sort of you become familiar with the with the material. So the more familiar you become with the material, the more you can recognize it. You know what's going to happen before you even do it. So I think it's more what takes a lot longer is things that are unfamiliar, and they're probably the best things to transcribe. Yeah. Because they're going to push you as a player and you're going to grow by doing things you can't do. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I, yeah, if it's a, if it's a pop song, I will transcribe all, you know, like sometimes in a good, just in one lesson, I could have the whole song transcribed. Like even while the song's playing, I've already written, I've already written yeah. the whole chord progression or written all the part, written parts like bass lines and things like that. That's really quick for me. Yeah. Um, if it's a guitar finger style thing, I need to spend a lot of time hearing all the intricacies of it and being able to work out, you know, and separate the melody from the bass and what's happening in the middle. And sometimes the middle can be a little bit, you know, you hear things where you think that's an open G and it's not, and it's an overtone of another chord or something's ringing on. So it requires a lot of, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors when it comes to, um, solo guitar things uh, where the you know something stops and something takes over but it still sounds full it's like holding the 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 um the pedal down on the piano so things are ringing over yeah um especially if i'm transcribing things in different tunings which i do like transcribe things in dadgad tunings and then then i'm hopeless notating that stuff i just actually just use tab to notate it even though i hate tablature it's just easier for to because i don't know where the notes are uh, but if I'm doing a jazz solo, um, it won't take me long to play play it, but it just depends on what I select. Most of the things I've been selecting recently are sort of fairly bluesy, fairly melodic, fairly mid-tempo or ballads. So um, it doesn't take too long. But if I was doing something that was a lot faster or out of my depth, these are all guitar things too, so yeah. I'm familiar with the instrument. Yeah. If I'm transcribing something that's not on the guitar, like saxophone, like some of those, some of the things in the finger, like not only is it transcribing, it's a problem solving thing of how do you make that work on the guitar? Yeah. Sometimes those kind of notes just don't translate to a logical fingering. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or how it could be played. So then that's a different thing because it's a, not only a transcribing thing, it's like a problem solving thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exploration into 
getting out of your comfort zone. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good point. And yeah, when I when I did the Charlie Hayden uh, solo transcription, it took me <laughs> quite long to to figure out. It, there is at the end of the solo, he's playing a lot of uh, double notes uh, on the double bass, and that was completely new. That's hard to hear for me. Yeah, uh, to yeah. hear, yeah. and of course, it's a ballad, so the rhythm is quite loose. So. Even the question how I do notate this, it, it was it was a great challenge to take. But I'm I'm hearing your point, and I guess the the question is is interesting. And I started this podcast after I heard a friend of mine, an Italian friend of mine. He's the guest on the first episode of the uh, of the podcast, and he transcribed. Uh, five and a half minutes uh, Michael Brecker solo on Recorder Me wow. with Steps Ahead. And he literally nailed it. He plays, you know, from memory, five and a half minutes. It's, it's long. Wow. It's long and it's perfect. And it's Michael Brecker. Yeah. <laughs> and so I asked him how long did it take and he said oh well you know I wanted to finish it I wanted to do it properly so I would say I finish memorizing it in like about eight months he said okay wow and you yeah, know he's yeah. a good player he's really yeah. a good player so it's not that he had to learn the technique he knew everything mm. but to to learn and he told me you know it's just five minutes and it took me eight months but that's the time that is required he was doing like one hour basically one hour every day yeah and it's a long time but then what you get in return is massive yeah it's a it's a, it's a massive investment i think you know um and it's kind of like putting money in the bank and you're just going to got you've got lots there that you can withdraw and you'll be withdrawing it not knowing you're withdrawing you know you'll be playing a gig and things will be coming out and you're playing where where did that come from that you've you've deposited you know i think that's kind that's a of great analogy that works. yeah yeah i'm taking i was some thinking notes. too yeah Mirko, that you know a lot of the times when you are transcribing i think it's your interpretation you know like we could transcribe the same piece and they'll be very different. But if as long as it makes sense to you or it makes sense to me and we get what we need out of it, that's what's important. Yeah, you transcribe what you hear, definitely. Mm. It's, it's like the, the spelling is not that important, but the sound is important. Mm. That That's definitely right. And uh, this is a bit of a controversial question, but... Have you ever felt you were copying someone? Like, I don't know if you ever fell into a phase where you were obsessively transcribing one guitar player and then you started playing like him and people started saying, oh, yeah, Steve, yeah, I know, the, the one that is playing like, you know, we, we all fear that comment. Yeah. <laughs> back so how do you escape i don't think i've ever had that i think you can only be you um every it's a bit like saying to you Mirko, with your voice the way you're speaking that you sound like somebody else and you even if you sounded like somebody else it's still your voice and you're saying things that are different than somebody else so i don't necessarily think that's ever been an issue. I've had some funny things where when I first started getting into jazz, somebody said to me, oh, you sound exactly like Jim Hall. And I didn't even know who Jim Hall was. I was like, who's Jim Hall, you know? Yeah. But then I listened to Jim Hall. I said, oh, I love Jim Hall. He, he's, that's the way I think about music. It's, it's melodic and it's simple. And then that, that sort of explored some things in that, you know, I really got into the, the way he played. Um, I think it's as well, if you transcribe lots of different players, you'll then just be an amalgamation of the things that you like. Yeah, um, more than just, you know, if you, maybe that could happen if you 
lived in a bubble and you only listened to one musician um, and that's all you knew. And you mm. didn't even play with other people because I think if you play with other people, you're list you should be listening to the people around you when you're playing all the time as well. Yeah. Um, I don't think that can, yeah, I don't, I just don't know if that's possible. Yeah, maybe it is, but I don't think it's something that should be, people should be worried about. Yeah. I'm just asking because sometimes is one of the main excuses of coming from students. Oh, no, I do not transcribe because I don't want to sound like somebody else. And, you know, that's not the point, of course, of transcribing. No. That's, that's not. It's... And usually I suggest, well, you will never try to play a line that you learned in a live gig unless it yeah. comes out as you said before with a bank deposit you know sometimes i can hear myself playing some lines and only after i play it i i can oh that's coming from a stangets solo oh it was nice but it came out like if i have stored somewhere yeah and it's there ready you know but i'm not deliberately think oh now I'm going to play Stan Gates. That never worked. It's me. the same thing with language, isn't it? We're speaking yeah. where we've we've learnt vocabulary, we've learnt words, and we're drawing on those things as we communicate. But we're not like I'm going to use that great quote out of this book now that's out of context, you know. <laughs> so you know, like it's yeah. I don't. Yeah, I think. I mean. The way that we have learnt music and the way we've learnt language growing up is imitating our parents. We don't sound like our parents, you know, but we had to learn language that way. Um, I think you you find your own way. You've, you know, I think it's, I actually think it's not a bad thing. I think it's a good thing to have somebody there that you're modelling on because they're probably really good at what they do. And that way you can learn about what they do well um, and take those those kind of strengths and things, you know, into your own playing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> if you transcribe um, a guitar solo, for example, <clears throat> how do you practice it? Ah, oh, I try to. I obviously play along with the recording. Um, so I'll I'll basically put I'll use the loop function in um, transcribe and play certain sections. And normally I, I'll build the tempo up if it's fast. So I might start slower and just keep building the tempo. That's a great thing about it. You know, I'm, I'm on 80 now. Great. I'm pushing towards 85. You know, I'm getting, getting to tempo. Um, so I will, even though I, even though I play along with it, I think what I try to do, there's a couple of things I will do. If there's a, something I really like a phrase, maybe it could be just like a, you know, a two, five, one progression or something. I might take that out and use that as a, a thing to practice. So I'll practice in every key and do that. And maybe start with the original idea and then start playing around with it and expanding it. So it might have started off as a, say, where's Montgomery line, then it's starting to sound a bit more like me finding the way I do it and playing around with it a bit. Um, and I, I think I just like to if I transcribe something, I like to get into that kind of player's head and play, play, like maybe I might play it note for note, but then I don't, I kind of want to play along. I might play along with the backing track and just think like that player and try to channel what the things, those kind of, not the notes, the things like maybe the sound, the rhythm or the articulation and just stay in that kind of space. So I'm influenced by that player, but I'm not trying to play like that player. And, um, and that will go from different players, you know, I mean, I might be in BB King kind of headspace, you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm just trying to play, I'm playing a lot of BB King solos. I'm playing like, I'm thinking about BB King's vibrato and where he plays and some of the sweet notes and just being really dynamic with the phrases and I'll stay in that space and I'll just play. Sure. I might transcribe one of his solos, but then I'll just play over a couple of blues channeling that and hopefully that kind of stuff comes out when I play. Yeah. That's good. And <clears throat> do you have any specific strategy to 
uh, incorporate what you learned uh, with the transcription into your playing, like how you store those things in order to have them ready when you need them? It's a good question. Or um, it's just a process that once, you know, you spend a couple of months on that track, maybe it's all there uh, and you leave it to, I don't know. I think, I think maintenance is very important for me. So if I, if I transcribe something, I'm thinking more at the moment, specifically solo guitar arrangements that have specific, maybe right hand arpeggios and things and other, you know, counter melodies and melodies and things going on. Um, if I transcribe something like that, I want to play it to, I play it a lot so that I can play it. But then I hopefully get to a point where I can be flexible with it, improvise within it and play just, it doesn't have to be as rigid. So I guess it's about maintenance in those things and maintaining those things. And yeah, so it's probably playing things or listening to things a lot more, I think, you know, re-listening to them or revisiting them. Um, even a transcription that you might have transcribed and then re-listening to it, replaying it, and then hearing something different to it. But I think, again, I will take... Well, so one thing I will do, actually, Mirko, is a really good example. I was just thinking about the way I might approach practicing improvising. This is maybe if I was playing on, a say, a blues, is I might find some kind of rhythmic motif and I will just then use that rhythmic motif to put my own notes to it and stay with that. And so that I'm thinking about expanding my rhythmic vocabulary and I might just have two rhythmic motifs that I bounce from and put all my own notes and inflections to, but I know where that rhythmic motifs come from and try to expand it that way. So I think I think more with transcription, I actually think more rhythmic than notes. It's about expanding my rhythmic vocabulary. That's nice. That's nice. I thought your answer could be reduced to the magic word practicing <laughs> but yes. I, I like the yeah. word yeah. the word maintenance it reminds me of you know you you want to have the car always ready to go you know and you have to have a good maintenance or even your instrument you know you have to do some maintenance in order to not have bad surprises, you go to a gig and something happens because of bad maintenance. So that's also with things that you hear in your head, you need to maintain them fresh and ready to go. It's a good, good word. Thank you. I think it's a very challenging thing as a musician is trying to maintain what you've got and then add another, another room to the house you know and it yeah. keeps expanding yeah. yeah i mean that that's yeah. that's not a secret you know all the the giants of music what they do they they still practice a lot you know we we keep listening to interviews mm. to our heroes i remember years mm. ago uh there was this interview to chris potter at the nyu and the the guy who was interviewing Chris Potter told the students that he was shocked because Chris Potter called him a couple of days uh, before and asking for a room on the day to practice. So can I have a room, you know, before my workshop uh, to practice? Uh, I said, yeah. How long for? You know, sure, that's possible. How long for? Oh, maybe five hours. Yeah, and he wow. said, he yeah. said, you are Chris yeah. Potter. You know, you, <laughs> you don't need to practice five hours. And Chris Potter said, I can help myself. If I don't practice five, six hours every day, I feel bad. My body feels bad. Uh, and I also know, uh, I had this friend of mine Who's actually a nice story. Uh, he played, he toured with Pat Mettini like yeah. five, five yeah. years ago, the Italian 
um, yeah. guy. And it's a funny story because he was a student of mine and one day he transcribed one of my solo and I said, give me that transcription and uh, I won't do anything to you. You know, because that transcription has to disappear. But that, that's not the story. He told me that Parmitini is crazy about practicing. He practices yeah. everywhere, even taxi rides, you know, from the plane to the uh, hotel. He's in the taxi, you know, <laughs> playing the guitar. And, you know, you, you don't become good. That good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If yeah, you don't exactly do right. it. So there was a a recent podcast with Pat. I mean, he's probably my favorite guitar player of all time. And the recent podcast, he says he gets up at four in the morning every day and practices before everybody else gets up. That's the yeah. reason why he's the best, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. That's great. And um, Steve, uh, the last question is, is the dumb question. And sorry for that, but I, I think after we spoke about, you know, very high and inspiring things, we need to touch ground. And so the silly question is, what is your favorite transcription of yours? It's kind of like asking, which is your favorite child? I know, it? Yeah. I know exactly. I hate that, that question when, when a journalist asks me, who's your favorite player? But that's, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to include this question into my podcast. Yes, I know how much we hate <laughs> to narrow those I, things down. I've probably got two then that come to mind. Um, I can accept that. <laughs> is that okay yeah, yeah. um i actually we we're just talking about pat metheny so that's good i would probably um I've, I've transcribed a lot of pat metheny but um there's one of my favorite albums is with charlie hayden who you transcribed the the bass solo with the michael brecker album um on the missouri sky album there's a song called message to my friend yeah and um i remember when i went and i saw them play that concert live in Canada and this is when you used to take your Walkmans to gigs and you know record them record the gig and I remember recording the whole show and I sat down with the tape back then because I think you know I had one of those like maybe one of those Marantz machines that's you know you put the tape in and it slowed things down a bit and even kind of thing and I remember transcribing he played this incredible solo that I haven't heard him play on the recordings of it and even on YouTube, it was just amazing. And I just went, oh, I have to learn that. And um, I did, I remember transcribing and learning it. And that was one of those ones that I played note for note and played along with the recording. And, and um, you know, I think I played it live once with a bass player and I just went, I have to play that. I, you know, I'm, I'm gonna play Pat Solo. You know, it's just too good. And I learned, a lot about his touch on piano, sorry, piano, his touch on the guitar, his restraint, um, and the the elasticity of where he pushed and pulled things. Um, it was a really great insight into how to again craft a solo, how to tell a story, how he started very slowly, where there was movement in cadential points where the interplay between him and Charlie Hayden, that was really interesting and how where Charlie would be playing busy and Pat would not play as much and where Charlie would give Pat space and he would create movement. I think that was really important to understand how two people play together and improvise together. And I've always been interested in that, even like these albums with Jim Ho and Ron Carter. It's like they play together. And I think for me, I, I'm very fascinated when people are telling a story together. Yeah. So that would be one. Um, there's a great one. I remember transcribing. Um, it was a really big one for me because it was, I had to transcribe jazz chords. Um, so there's a version of My Funny Valentine, which is not the version that, that um, Jim Hall plays with the Levens. It's with a really great trumpet player called Tom Harrell. And um 
I transcribed his solo on that, which was, I basically learned a lot of those kind of, um, you know, playing three note chords because I was playing big jazz chords then. And, you know, Jim Hall had these beautiful little three note chords that were mainly the, you know, the third and the seventh and some kind of extension and would move and weave that within the solo lines because it was, there was no piano player. He would play a line and then comp for himself. And that was, again, very important to understand that you could be that kind of play that role of a piano player or you could you could basically suggest the harmony without having another um, harmonic instrument there and the use of small chords. That was like a bit of an aha for me. Oh, play small chords, get out of the way, don't, you know. One, uh, that's why the bass player has been looking at me angrily because I've been playing these big chords, <laughs> you know, or um, I'm yeah. getting in the way of the soloist with the upper extensions, you know, stay in the middle, you know. So it was it was actually, and that was one of those ones, I think that was another song that I actually spent a lot of time analysing. It was the first transcription where I really, I analysed it to the T, you know, and yep. tried to work out how it all worked. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for participating in this podcast. I had a lot of fun talking to you. And um, thanks to all the listeners. And stay tuned for another great episode of the Jazz Transcription Clinic podcast. Thanks, Steve Rendo, for being a guest today. Thank you very much, Mirka.